Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. This is episode 110. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of one Mr. Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, it's very likely that you're doing it on our website, which is Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Dot com. It's also possible that you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which you can find at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, where you can find great shows like Baltimore Sports Today, which is BSR's daily podcast. You can find us on uh, various third-party uh, programs, such as uh, Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and if you really must, there's that that Apple program. And if you're going to do the iTunes thing, Scott, what, what must the listeners do you must go ahead and give us a review um we really don't care if it's five stars just give us like a three or four star things as long as you give us something and you're telling us how much you hate our program we'll love it i mean thanks for just the commentary basically we we appreciate the feedback if you write something nasty of course of course we'll read it on the program exactly also social media in this in this social media landscape that's important to have a presence and we do none of it matters except twitter you can find us at Twitter at Bird's Eye View BAL, but if you must, we're on Facebook, Google Plus, YouTube, the whole thing. Yes. Scotty, it's it's come to that important part of the program where I ask you the hard hitting questions. Who did we signed this week? No, no, no. Okay. What is your drink of the week? Jake, I've gone back to a classic. I've gone to a wireback uh blithering idiot barley wine, uh eleven point three percent ABV. So yes, it's got a little bit of a uh, a heavier note to it as opposed to most beverages that you usually consume. Well, uh, usually that is true. Tonight I am bucking the trend of crappy beer. I see that. I have gone to a birdhouse pale ale, which has an orange and black bird on it. It is from the brewer's art. And you are stealing one of them right now. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Very welcome. Now that we've gone through the important things, it's time to dive deep into the twat. This week on the Twitters, Scott Magnus, go! Did you like that improv, by the way? I did. Okay. I did. It was, it was a very method acting so, type of thing. Jake, why are we doing this again? Uh, Eddie Encina, who is a writer for the Baltimore Sun, you can follow him at, at Eddie in the Yard. Post Buck also said that Brian Mattis will be stretched out again this spring so he can work on his changeup. Okay. I understand wanting to work on the changeup. But the two things should be mutually exclusive. Why the heck do you need to be stretched out to work on your changeup? Uh, you know, I guess it's a relative term. Is he being stretched out from a one-inning guy to a three-inning guy? Okay, I fair point. If we come back last year and take a look at Zach Burton, for example, Zach Burton was being stretched out into a two-inning guy before he took the eventual closer role. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's a possibility. But 
you have to have actually had success against both left-handers and right-handers and Brian Mattis. Um, you know, probably isn't as bad as, you know, what everyone thinks he, like he is, like we talk about in the podcast, but it certainly doesn't stretch the imagination of saying he could be stretched out to be a starter or even a two or three inning relief pitcher as well. Um, following up on this, Jake, um, the next week comes to, this seems more than fair. This comes from Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer posts, and you can follow him at Bauer Outage. Hey, at MLB, if my drone is really banned, can I at least have that rule named in my honor? I think that's great. I think that's perfectly acceptable. You name it after him. And 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 first of all, I mean, you know, there's the whole Jack Bauer 24 military type yes. drone thing. Tell us on. where the drones are. Thank you. No problem. I think it's a perfect, perfect thing. Yes. Our next tweet comes from uh, Joe Paparato from the amazing, the illustrious, the fantastic. Poor OB- audio, but. OBP podcast. <laughs> Uh, and and the tweet comes from from uh, Joe Paparato who tweets at Joe Papa. It goes as follows: We may or may not have just played the newlywed game with at Bird's Eye View Ball on the at OBP podcast. Scott, did it happen? Can you confirm this? Let's just say that one of the questions may have been, "Where is the craziest place you've made whoopee before with Jake English?" Nice. Yeah. That is a very that is a very select club of people that can answer that question. They, I have to tell it you. It is a very select club. And let's just say if you're gonna be sitting in the club suite, you might want to bring yourself a napkin or a cloth to wipe the seat off. Wow. Uh we did record a little something with the OBP podcast. So you're and- saying we get around? We do get around. Okay. We encourage you not only to stop by the great folks over at the OBP podcast who can be found at uh, obpapparel.com. So round, round, get around, I get around. You're on a singing embargo, sir. Where else have we appeared this week? (laughs) We also appeared over on Blue Jays Plus, which is a podcast that covers the Blue Jays. Uh, You should be following them at Blue Jays Plus, and they came out with their podcast today where they talked to us about the Orioles, of course, and they also talked about Greg Zahn shooting his mouth off as usual. And we're going to get to Greg Zahn in a little bit. Um, next part of the tweet that we talked that we want to talk about was when are we going to get over this cat and mouse game? And this comes from Steve Molesky. People should be following him at Mass and Steve. And this says, does, don't some of the Saber guys see that by totally discounting chemistry, confidence, and teamwork, you play to your stereotype? Mm. Steve, Steve, mm. Steve. Look, if, if you're going to do this to me, if you're going to make me defend the Saber guys on my show, that's not cool, man. Look, Scotty. How is it that you and I, one of us who really, really appreciates the uh, advanced metrics of the game, and one of us who maybe doesn't put as much stock in it, how do two people such as us who are unqualified for almost everything else manage to get over the fact that it is two different experiences of the same love of the game? Why can't other people get that message? Why can't we all just get along? I can answer that pretty specifically. Okay. Alcohol. (laughs) <laughs> it does, it does seem to lubricate well this this conversation but I, I think the point is this look there are certain people in the sport who seem hell-bent on on making it an us versus them thing on making a those guys don't get it right whereas i get it right type of deal look the guys that are really into the stats and who really enjoy the game through that lens love the same game that the guys that live through what they can see and what they feel in their guts. And more frustratingly, they're usually talking about the same thing, but getting to it from different 
from different perspectives. Is that allowed and possible? I, I just don't understand why why we can't just get over the fact that some people really love stats and some people don't, and that's okay. It's black. It's white. <laughs> we do need to do a, a don't matter if you're black or white thing with sabermetrics. Mm, challenge accepted. I'm going to do some homework and we'll we'll get. <laughs> All right, speaking. Jeez, <laughs> keep going on the on the stat thing. This actually comes into a statistic thing that I think is really interesting. Uh, this falls into my well, that's interesting category, and this comes from Tango Tiger. Um, you can follow him at Tango Tiger, and uh, oh, he's one of those saber guys. He is one of the preliminary saber guys from back in the day. I actually don't even from back in the day. He still is a predominant source, but back in the day when Bill James was, you know, basically done doing things actively, um, you know. Tom Tango came out and basically wrote the book, which was a, a, a great read. I recommend it to anybody that wants to delve into sabermetrics to a certain regard and actually see that sabermetrics isn't just about the numbers, but it's also about uh, club management, um, park revenue, how you approach you know locker room stuff like that, and not just you know these are numbers. This post was about selection bias, and it was an article that was looking at hardball talk, and it was specifically about why flyball uh, fly pitchers are just as effective as groundball pitchers, and there was some interesting data. And the big point that you know, Tom Tango wanted to make was, for years upon years now, groundball pitchers have been talked about being better than flyball pitchers, and flyball pitchers have been sure. um, ostracized and said, oh, it's a flyball pitcher, he's not going to do so well. Um, well, in this case, actually, by looking at the sample set, flyball pitchers actually do just as well as groundball pitchers. They just do it in a slightly different fashion. But all these fielding independent pitching metrics, XFIP, um, and even Ciara to a certain extent that emphasize groundball, they're, they're good to a certain extent. And they're certainly saying that groundballs are still good. But perhaps flyball pitchers aren't as bad as we've been making it out to be for the past few years. And forgive me, Scotty, because I, I don't read this as closely as you do, but I think this also follows some some reading that we've done recently where they've talked about pitchers being effective high in the zone, which is maybe something that, that you know, traditionally you're not supposed to do, you know, pound, loan away, pound, loan away. But you were just talking about an article somewhat recently in which somebody had done a study on uh, people using the, the the high end of the zone and having some success with that. So. Yeah, it was talking about Kevin Gossman being, uh, again, a high fly ball, well, a, a fly ball pitcher to a certain extent, but again, pounding the strike zone and delivering weak contact. That one was more talking about whiff percentage because the whiff percentage was higher in the higher strike zone. But again, I wrote an article on BaltimoreSportsReport.com this week regarding Miguel Gonzalez referencing this article. And the one big thing that was interesting to me was infield fly ball percentage, which we've talked about in this program before. Um, and Miguel Gonzalez has a pretty high infield fly ball percentage, indicating potentially weak contact for his fly balls. If that's the case, fly ball pitchers might be wanting to be looked at from a batted ball distance profile, like I've talked about before. Um, that's certainly not a statistic that is very easy to look at and analyze at this time, but it's something that watching the game going forward, we, we may want to take a look at and just say, let's see how this fly ball pitcher is doing in terms of delivering weak contact of getting a lot of infield fly balls, but also fly balls on the um, you know narrow portion of the outfield as well. Oh, you saber guy. You don't know anything. Yeah, what can I say? I, I don't want to just rely on the numbers. I want to see something and see if the numbers could reflect it after what I see with my eyes. Well, here's a tweet. Uh, this is the last thing from the twat that I want to go through this week, and it, it comes from somebody who, who would know. Okay. All right. Uh, you tweeted out this week, Something that was interesting. It was a fluff piece, but it was a fluff piece that Jake English, I'm sure, liked. You you wrote a piece on, on birdseyeviewbaltimore.com about whether or not the seventh inning stretch, as we know it, is going to exist because of the new pace of play rules. And you tweeted out, with new MLB pace of play changes, is the death of the seventh inning stretch approaching with the link? 
Sure. And the whole point of that article was we've got about two minutes and 25 seconds that Major League Baseball will be having between breaks and about 40 seconds prior to that two minute and 25 seconds. So a minute and 45 seconds off the top of my head, they're going to have to start playing intro music for the player to come up to bat and everything like that. So really, you've got a minute and 40 seconds between break before intros need to be starting to play. And I raised the question of if that's the case, there's no way that you're going to get everything in during the seventh inning stretch in a minute and 40. No, it, it, it's a great point. I think it's a great question. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You got responded to by you know a couple of people, but one of them was the illustrious Ryan Wagner, who, as you know, is the PA announcer at Camden Yards, the voice of the Orioles, and he, he tweets as follows, at Bird's Eye View BAL, no, because the time change isn't any different than what it already is. They're just going to be stricter about enforcing it. So hmm. here is a, an expert lending us, as usual, their their opinions. Sage advice. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I say let's go further. Okay. Let's just let's not delve depend, deep into it. Yeah, let's not depend on a tweet from Ryan Wagner. What do you say we talk to the source himself? Let's go to the man himself and unfurl that bow tie. Scott, it seems silly to introduce our next our next guest because he's so well known within the Orioles community. We really became familiar with Ryan Wagner through his work at the MLB Fan Cave. We were so proud to have an Orioles representative in that program. It was somebody that we could look at as as one of us who had made it. Well, it got ridiculous one step further when he put in his uh, his his audition, which you could see on YouTube, and he became the next voice of the Orioles. We're, of course, talking about PA announcer Ryan Wagner. Ryan, thank you for joining Bird's Eye View. Thanks for having me. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we do this every week on the show. Um, you know, it's a little light here. We like to, to not take ourselves too seriously. We start the the show with a drink. Each of us have a drink of the week. So what, if anything, is your drink of the week? Oh, man. Uh, I'm a big craft beer nerd. Um and so I, I think any microbrew, anything that I can get from uh, from the wine source up here in Hamden uh, is, is a good bet. But my drink of every week is probably Jameson. Okay. Yeah, we're drinking a uh, Weyerbacher Blithering Idiot and a Brewer's Art uh, Birdhouse Parallel tonight. So uh, we completely uh, respect the craft brew uh, scene com- with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Brewer's Art and uh, both Weyerbacher are uh, two of my favorites. So. Kudos to you guys. Yes. Now you you say that you, you go to the wine source there in Hamden. I, I used to work right right by there. Do you find that when you go there, you try to find something new every week, or or is it something that you've got a, a, a standard that you go to every time? Well, we've become really really big nerds. Um, depending on the season, uh, we'll we'll kind of stick to both our favorites and try some new um, incarnations of different styles of beer. Uh, we've been on a sour kick lately. Uh, yeah. so we've been trying a couple of different sours. Um, Monk's Cafe Flemish Red has been yep. uh, in the rotation quite a bit. Um, a couple of cuvées, which is another sour beer. Uh, and we love uh, Saison once the uh, the weather gets a little warmer. Uh, so I'm sure we'll go there. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of go all over the map. You, you keep using the word nerd. And, and I have to tell you, 
Uh, being a, an, a, an appreciator of fine <clears throat> beer is nothing to be ashamed of. I thought you were going to say appreciator of fine nerds, but <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, sir, yeah, this is no, a support I, group. I use the term nerd uh, with, with a great deal of love. I am, I'm a nerd about many things in my life, beer being just one of them. Um, but I also spent many, many years as a bartender, so I take uh, I take a great deal of pride in not just choosing good beer and learning about good beer, um, but also in cocktails. So we, we have a, a brand new liquor cabinet that we bought when we moved into our new place, and uh, we keep it stocked with some delicious things. And I, and I like going back to my bartending roots every once in a while and, and fixing something in the kitchen. So it's a, I, I don't use the term nerd uh, with, with any kind of uh, animosity. I, I embrace my nerddom. Well, I, t- I tell you what, we'll, ha- we'll have to grab your list off the air because I'm, I'm in the process of building a bar in my basement right now, which has turned out to be a, a project which is probably for someone who's a little more handy than me, but I'm like, I'm in the home stretch. So right after the construction and the staining and, the, and all that process is done, I'm going to have to get to the point of stocking it. So uh, when we wrap up here, I'll, I'll be sure to grab some some recommendations for how to fill it because it, it, like, yeah. it sounds like you know your way around the back of a bar, which I appreciate. Uh, absolutely, my pleasure. Let me uh, let me ask you a little bit about the Orioles. That's that's what we do here, unfortunately. Um, but if you don't mind me saying so, I think the best thing about your work as the voice of the Orioles is that you're clearly an Orioles uh, an avid Orioles fan, and that's where you came from. Um, the fact that you were living, you know, probably one of your dreams is plainly evident from your work, though you go about it as a professional. What is the best part of the gig, as far as you're concerned? Uh, free tickets to every home game. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I think it's just being a, a very small minuscule part of, of what, uh, makes Oriole park, uh, in my opinion, and granted it's a biased one, but, uh, being a very small part of what makes Oriole park the best ballpark in the country to, uh, to catch a ball game. Um, you know, I, I grew up watching games there. I went to Memorial stadium as well. And, and, uh, there's something really remarkable about Oriole park. And so, uh, claiming to have even just a small influence on um, the experience people have at that ballpark is is, uh, is a lot of fun. I think that's what what my favorite part of the job is. Um, you know, it's it's funny that you put it like that because I, I think it's this goes into the next question. We all of, of you know Scott and I are right around thirty of this era. We all remember Rex Barney fondly. Um, he became a Baltimore institution, beloved by the fan base. Um, you know, the next PA announcer, David McGowan, was on the job for 14 years. Um, and, you know, he was great at what he did, but I don't feel like fans got to know him as well. And I think that with your style and, and maybe with your, your social media presence and, and things of that nature, you're, you're kind of closer to, to being noticed than not. Um, which, what do you think accounts for the difference between a guy like Rex Barney doing this job and a guy like David McGowan, um, doing this job and, and which style do you, um, do you feel like your own style is closer to? Well, it's interesting. You mentioned your age. My, I'm, I turned 30 this June. Uh, and so I, I, I think our generation, and I, I think I'm okay saying our generation, um, remembers Rex Barney as fondly as we do because he was, he was Orioles baseball to us. At least he was to me. I remember vividly um, driving home from Orioles games and listening to the post game show that he did for Orioles Park every night. You know, he would take questions, and he really enjoyed taking questions from young kids. Uh, the only time I ever worked up the nerve to call in, uh, I waited on hold for a while, and then when they got to me, they said the name Brian and not Ryan, and I didn't know they were talking to me, and so I hung up the phone and never got a chance to talk to Rex Barney. Um, 
but I, I think that the difference between a guy like Mr. Barney and a guy like Mr. McGowan, and I don't know uh, Dave McGowan very well, but he was very gracious to me uh, when I came in uh, three years ago. But what I'll say is that I think Rex was baseball, first and foremost. Um, a lot of people don't know um, that Rex Barney was a professional baseball player. He pitched for the Dodgers in the 50s. He, uh, I believe, uh, was the only man to ever pitch a no-hitter against the Giants in the polo grounds. Um, which is a pretty unique thing, obviously, for a Dodger uh, in uh, the polo grounds against the Giants back then, the biggest rivalry in sports. Um, and so when he became the announcer, uh, it was just a way to stay around the game for Rex. Um, he did his work from the press box, from the open air of the press box, much like many men did of his era when PA announcers started moving inside the soundproof booths and moving into production areas. Rex kept his seat in the press box because that's where his friends were and because he wanted to be in the open air and to experience the ball game. And I, I owe him a a sincere debt of gratitude for that because that's still where I sit. I sit in the press box. I get to experience the game. And so I think that while Mr. McGowan, as far as I know, is a huge baseball fan, is a a big Oriole fan. um, I think that maybe he wasn't as, it's, it's hard for me to describe. I, I live and breathe baseball. I, I, Prior to coming to uh, work for the Orioles, you guys mentioned that I worked in the fan cave, and so I was making baseball my living. Um, prior to that, I was on tour with the Broadway musical, but just before that occurred, uh, I was covering the Orioles for Fox Sports, for Jerry Coleman, of all people. Um, and so I wanted to make sports my career. I still do, and, and I, I've worked very hard and very long to do that. And so I think that um, there is, thanks to the fan cave and thanks to some of the other uh, conversations I've had and some of the friendships that I've forged, um, there is a legitimacy to uh, talking baseball with me. And I really appreciate that, and I and I value that. And so when fans come to me at the ballpark or when they see me out in the streets or, um, you know, when they interact with me on Twitter and they talk baseball with me, I think that they appreciate the fact that someone who works for the club, who is somewhat visible, uh, definitely audible, um, they appreciate the fact that, that I'm somebody that they can talk baseball with and actually have a real conversation uh, about the game with. And I, and I really, I really enjoy that. And I think that that maybe is what, um, maybe what that separation is. Uh, and I think that social media plays a huge part of it. Um, Rex Barney was as popular as he was and as widely known as he was because he uh, was on the radio often and he filled in on TV broadcasts and he did a lot of different things that kept him front and center in the minds of a lot of Orioles fans. Um, Mr. McGowan never got that opportunity, and I don't know if it's something he sought out or or not, um, but my presence on social media allows me to do something that neither Dave McGowan nor Rex Barney were able to do, and that's communicate with Oreo fans in real time. Um, and I think that it's an interesting uh, sort of blend because Oreo Park is a very old-fashioned ballpark. Uh, the Orioles, to me, sort of embody an old, old-fashioned uh, way to play the game and a way to build a team. And um, so I appreciate that I can talk to older baseball fans, older Orioles fans that have been around for a long time and uh, saw the team through their glory days in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, and I can talk baseball with them, and they respect my opinions, and they understand that I know those teams. But I can also get on Twitter, and I can talk with fans who are 16 and 18 and 22 and uh, talk to them in their language about the Orioles and how they feel about their teams growing up. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I, I try to be as approachable as possible and I try to be as, um, open to discussion with as many different people as I can be, because that is, um, probably the most valuable part of my job is just being able to interact with, with fans and, and have them treat me as though I am a part of the club. Right. Um, 
can you just walk us through just a standard game day routine when you show up to the ballpark like how early do you get there and uh, what work goes into your day that might not be transparent to most fans I am um, I have a unique way of, of approaching it I don't know if anybody else in baseball does it um, I've, I have friendships with a couple of the other PA announcers around baseball uh, very casual friendships uh, mostly on social media of all things um, but my theater background uh, and being an actor for as long as I've been an actor uh, allows me to pick up a script. And for every every game, we have a script. A lot of it stays the same. You know, the welcome announcement, the uh, pregame ceremonies, for the most part, stay the same throughout the year. Uh, but there are uh, some things that change. And obviously, we get new names every day of people that are being honored in pregame ceremonies. There's new ball clubs that come in every week. Um, so I treat it just like I would any other script. I go over it a few times. I uh, mark down areas where I think I might have some trouble with the pronunciation or with a uh, particular bit of syntax that might be tough to, to get out. Um, and then I work on it. Uh, I, I think um, one of the one of my favorite stories is that when I was at my uh, one of the auditions that I did uh, for this job, I think it was the final 25, uh, they gave us the script that we were going to deliver as part of the audition. And I, like I had done a million times in New York when I had auditioned for, for musicals and plays, took my script into the bathroom. Uh, bathrooms have wonderful acoustics. Oh, uh, thank God. That's very, where you're going with um, that. Go ahead. Yeah, they're, they're very closed areas, closed in areas. The walls are, are usually um, made of some kind of concrete, so they reverberate very well. And so I started going over my script in the bathroom. And uh, <laughs> the gentleman who would later become my boss, after I was lucky enough to get hired, came in and heard me reading and had no idea what I was doing. Um, and so I treat, I treat the scripts and I, and I treat every game day like I would a, a musical or a play. Uh, preparing a script, warming my voice up, making sure my voice is in good shape because um, I, I am a huge proponent of vocal health. I think it's something that we don't talk about nearly enough. Um, and so I, I treat it like a like like I would any show. And uh, so a typical day for me, I show up two hours before the ball game starts. Um, I'll check and make sure my equipment is on, make sure my equipment is working, make sure my headset is, is set up. I'll get a lineup and fill it out, uh, make sure I've got the proper lineups. Um, talk to the visiting team's PR about any uh, potential major league debuts, uh, about um, any call-ups that might not be indicated on my sheet, um, any tricky pronunciations. If Kila Kahua is in the lineup, I want to double-check that one. Um, <clears throat> and then after that, I'll, I'll uh, grab something to eat, and I'll talk baseball with whoever and uh, <laughs> whoever will allow me to sit at their table. Um, some days it's Jim Palmer, some days it's uh, whoever might be visiting as part of the, the visiting broadcast team. Um, John Kruk became a friend in the fan cave, and so it's always nice when ESPN is in town and, and I can sit down and talk with uh, John Kruk and Dan Schulman and, and guys like that. Um, but I, I talk baseball uh, because I, that that is my favorite part about being in that ballpark probably is that there are so many people there with so many stories. Uh, my best friend at the Orioles at this point is probably our official scorer, a guy named Jim Henneman. And Jim has been around for a long time. Uh, he wrote for the for the Sun uh, for many years. Writes for Press Box now, um, and is just a wealth of stories and knowledge. And uh, some of my favorite times are Sunday afternoons, uh, sitting in that the the press lounge or the cafeteria and talking with Jim Henneman and Vince Bagley. Uh, and I don't know if you guys know who Vince Bagley yeah. is, but he was a um, broadcaster, television sports broadcaster for WBAL for many, many, many years. And so Vince is kind of like royalty. Yep. You know, if you sit at a table with Vince, everybody in the world is going to come over and say hello to him. And um, when I say I sit and I talk with him, I interject every once in a while with a question, but more often than not, I'm just sitting there listening to Jim and Vince go back and forth. Um, 
and it's, it's, it's really great for me because, uh, you know, ideally, um, at some point in my career, at some point in the future, I would love to be a broadcaster. I, I think that's, uh, what my, my ultimate dream is. I don't, I don't know how that would happen or, or when that would happen. I'm perfectly happy with where I am right now, but, uh, it is nice to sit around and hear those stories and kind of, um, just take all that in, you know, chat with Gary Thorne whenever he's available. Um, and just talk to these guys and get their stories. Uh, but once that's all over with and we're getting closer to pregame, uh, I'll go down to my to my spot, uh, do a mic test, and then it's off to the races. Um, once I sit down and start the pregame, I don't get up until the game's over. Uh, bathroom breaks are tough to come by. Uh, try to avoid those at all costs um, because I have a minute 40 from the end of one inning to the start of another. And uh, it's a little tricky to uh, to go take a pee in that, that amount of time. Um, and it's time now. So, yeah. I mean, what's that? And it's time now. <laughs> what You know what? The funny thing is, it's always been time. I know. I, yeah. I, I, re- <laughs> I, I read these things. I read all the all the stories. Like, the MLB is enforcing it. No, it's already there. Yeah. Uh, my, my breaks are very quick. Since I started, I mean, I can't say how long it's been like that, but at least as long as I've been working there. Um, it's It's a minute 40 for me from the last pitch until I announced the batter. And it's, I believe, two minutes and five seconds is what the break is supposed to be from last out to first pitch. Um, it's, it doesn't always happen. Uh, it's the same for pitching changes as well. Right. Um, and I remember in particular, uh, I don't want you know, to hold too much against him because it was his last year, but uh, the last season that Mariano Rivera pitched, uh, he had an appearance at Oriole Park uh, where they called him in from the bullpen and like I said, from the minute that they announce that they're making a change, from the minute the umpire signals out to the bullpen to bring in the new pitcher, he's got a minute 40 until I announce the batter walking to the plate. Well, at three minutes, Mariano Rivera was walking down the warning track. It, so, it was a long one you know, Yeah, some guys just take their time, and, and I think that it's great. I think what MLB, doing, MLB is doing is great. I, I think the pace of play is, a, is an issue. Um, but a lot of the rules that you're reading about already exist. It's just a matter of enforcing. Sure. So, so there are there are two quick things that I that I want to um, un- unload from what you said there. The first is this: um, it's, uh, we we talked about, and you actually tweeted back to us about this. We we talked about a little while ago that you know the seventh inning stretch as we know it may be in danger because of these new pace of play rules. But you you think that is not the case, correct? Correct. No, I and and the funny thing is our version of Country Boy, which I know what everybody that's what everybody's concerned about, is timed to that break. Correct. Yeah, like I said, it came out to be you know well within the parameters of that one minute and forty seconds, like you said, where you had to make the announcement. So it definitely has the ability to fit in there. Um, I, I guess my question is, when you start throwing in, which was the one thing that people have brought up nationwide, which is God Bless America on top of it. That doesn't count toward a break. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, God, God, bless, God bless America does not count toward an inning break. The inning Fantastic. break starts as God Bless America is over. You, you know, we, we probably don't give the decision makers at MLB enough credit for having common sense, but it's it's nice to hear that. Second question from, from what you just said is that at some point you'd like to get into broadcasting, and, and let me just... Let me just say yes. Let me just yes. take a yes. Yes, <laughs> we, we're we're in favor. But let me take a step back. I, I think that that's probably the dream of a lot of of baseball fans, a lot of young boys, and and frankly, young girls. You know, probably uh, do this. But is there a tape somewhere? And when I say tape, I mean cassette tape. Is there a tape somewhere of a, a young Ryan Wagner taping himself doing the call of an Orioles game from perhaps in a bathroom? 
Oh God, I'm 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 sure that there is. It wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. I you know I I um I don't know about that tape existing. I know that the first time I ever tried to do play by play was at a Bowie Bay Sox game, um, and I I do have that recording of me of and there was a home run call. Uh, um, oh, who hit it? Uh, oh man, it's gonna drive me nuts. I'll have to look it up. It was it was probably six or seven years ago. Um, and I, and I would play that back and critique myself. I only did it like an inning or two. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure it exists. I'm sure it's still around somewhere. And yes, it was on a, on a cassette tape, even seven or eight years ago, that was the easiest thing to record on. Sure. You know, it's, it's funny because my, my grandfather used to live in Shrewsbury and we used to go visit him every couple of weekends. And this is, we're talking like 89, 90, somewhere in that, in that range and uh i know that a very young jake english would sit and and uh he had the stereo like a dual deck uh dual cassette deck stereo with a microphone which was a really big deal and uh you know it was was like as tall as me right um but i used to sit there and record uh broadcasts to a totally fictitious game of all of my favorite players doing the most amazing things. And the uh, only place that ever got me was in the basement of, of Scott Magnus's house. And here you are, uh, you know, the voice of the Orioles. So, well, you, you know, you know, the interesting thing is that I, um, when I did that base Sox game, I didn't realize that uh, things that I take for granted watching a major league baseball game, like, you, you, you can put any major league baseball game on at this point, And I can tell you, with relative certainty, who's playing what position for whatever team is playing at that moment. I, I can give you a pretty good sense of what their lineup probably looks like. American League, National League, doesn't matter. You take me to a triple-A ballpark, I don't have the first clue. And it's and it's something that you don't really think about. You know, when, when I'm watching an Orioles-Red Sox game and there's a ball hit to second base by the Orioles, I know Pedroia is going to pick it up and then he's going to throw it to Napoli. I don't have to think about that. You know, I know that if, if you know, the the – the Mariners are playing, and and a ball goes to second base. That's where Robinson Cano plays. Kyle Seager's at third. You know, I, I I know these things just because I pick Mark Zanino is behind the plate. I know these things because I watch a lot of major league baseball. I don't watch nearly enough minor league baseball to go and do play by play at a minor league game. The research that that you have to do just stepping up to a microphone and thinking that you're going to do play by play at a minor league baseball game, it's pretty remarkable. And it's, and it's little tricks that you pick up just from, from watching other guys do it, you know, watching Gary Thorne prepare before a ball game, um, you know, watching some of these guys do what they do. It, there is, it, it, it's very much a performance. It's very much, and, and that's what I love about it. I mean, I, I'm a theater kid from way back. So anytime I can make a reference to, oh, you're doing a performance, you're preparing a script, you're, you know, I, I really appreciate that aspect of it. And um, I was amazed when I, when I did do the play-by-play for those couple of innings in Billy. How many times I was like, there's a ball, drive, you know, drive down the left field line. The left fielder is, uh, uh, you know, looking through the lineup trying to figure out who the left fielder was because I had no idea. Um, but I think Major League Baseball is quite different because we all watch so much Major League Baseball that it's, we do it without even thinking about it. All right. Well, I, I want to touch base on this whole thespian aspect because Jake is a Letterman thespian from John Carroll High School. And you're an active. Yeah, I, went to, I went to Edgewood. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, I went to Seamelt and Wright, and I was in the theater program there too. But I don't have a letter for my theater program. Jake does have a letter because <laughs> that's the best he could do. This is so sad. I don't have a letter in theater. I have a letter in band. Oh, okay. You have a letter in band. I thought they gave letters out in theater, yeah. John Carroll. <laughs> no, man. The, the band kids. You guys got nice jackets. We didn't get jackets. No, I didn't get a jacket. I just got a letter. Look, I, was, I just got a letter oh, hanging out in a box. 
Four yeah, years. That's, that's pretty sad. Four years on swim team, baby. It was all all that it could be. But yeah, I love the fact that I'm defending my letter. In I know you can't can just ask a damn question. <laughs> so I want to go back to the, the, the thespian angle of this, and you know, you're you're active right now in the theater community, and I'm assuming that goes on the back burner during the season. But tell us what what you've been working on in the theater community this off season. Uh, yeah, I, I I wanted to be an actor. Uh, I, I started acting when my knees gave out and I couldn't play baseball one one spring. Uh, I had a knee injury and I couldn't play, and so I decided to uh, to, to do a musical. Um, and I did it, and I loved it, and I never looked back. Uh, I went to college at Frostburg State for musical theater, uh, so I was on Western Maryland. Very underrated, excellent theater program out there. And then once college was over, I moved right to New York and started working in New York. Um, uh, I did regional theater all over the place, uh, worked off-Broadway uh, once or twice. Uh, never quite made it to Broadway, unfortunately, um, but did do a national tour yet. for two years. You haven't made it uh, yet. In the country. And, um, but yeah, now that I've been working in sports to kind of get my fix, so to speak, um, to feed those creative, uh, uh, hunger pains, um, I've been doing community theater and, um, I first did it after the first season that I was with the Orioles. So 2012, um, I agreed to do a musical in, uh, Northeast Maryland in Cecil County, uh, where I was living at the time. And, uh, I booked the show. I, I auditioned for Avenue Q and got a role. And um, then they thought that I wasn't going to be able to do it because if you remember correctly, in 2012, the Orioles made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And so they kept going. And I'm, I'm sorry to, to admit, I'm kind of a bad Orioles fan here. Uh, when I agreed to do the show in the beginning of September, I was like, there's no way the Orioles are going to make the postseason. They haven't made it in 14 years. Um, so I told this director, I was like, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. And then we made the playoffs. Uh, but I ended up, uh, unfortunately for the Orioles, fortunately for me, um, they were knocked out by the Yankees. Uh, we won't talk about that series, but uh, they were knocked out by the Yankees. Voldemort, Voldemort killed them in game five. Um, and uh, so I, I did the show. I did Avenue Q. Uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, that winter, uh, in, in December of 2012, in January of 2013, I was asked back to do another show that I didn't want to do. Um, <laughs> the reason I, I tell you this story is kind of got an interesting payoff. So they were doing a musical called Nine to Five. It's based on the Dolly Parton movie. Uh, I had no interest to do the show at all. I uh, was talked into it by the same director who convinced me to come over and play uh, the lead role in that. And I ended up meeting a girl uh, who now, more than two years later, is my girlfriend. And we live together. And it's a happy story. Um, but this off season, I, yeah, you're right. During the baseball season, it's very, it's, it's tough for me to do in musical theater just because there are very few shows that are only one weekend long. And I very rarely have more than one weekend in a row off. Um, so that makes it difficult. Uh, but this winter I've done two shows. Uh, I did Jekyll and Hyde, the musical at Spotlighters Theater in downtown Baltimore on St. Paul street, uh, for five weekends in January and February. And, uh, just this past weekend opened, uh, a musical called Spamalot. Uh, based on Monty Python's Holy Grail. Uh, and that is at that same theater where I worked in Cecil County. It's called Milburn Stone Theater. Uh, we opened this past weekend. We've got four shows this weekend. And then I'm done, uh, barring any unforeseen things, uh, until next offseason. Now, I, I, you've you've done so much there to encourage me. First of all, you're you're living my dream. You're Playing with puppets you're, and playing the Lady of the Lake in Spamalot. Um, you're you're an actor and you work for the Orioles. You're you're basically a young a young dream of mine. But for all of my friends in high school who who were in sports, I would always ask them, "Hey, dude, how many girls are there in wrestling or football practice?" Okay, that's fine. I'll go to theater practice. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you know, but. 
to be fair, I didn't I didn't get much uh I didn't get many girls in high school because I did musicals. Those were the football players getting all those girls. You don't, you don't, no. Yeah. I had a thing there. You didn't have to ruin it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on your joke. I'm sorry. That's we're okay. we're going to cut that totally out. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> let me take this back to the Orioles. I want to ask you about something. Your, your call of JJ Hardy coming up to the plate has become iconic in Baltimore. I think it's, it's really fun. It's something that the fans have absolutely latched onto. Do you remember distinctly when that became a thing? Um, for me or when the fans started doing it? Uh, yes. Both. Um, <laughs> for, for, for me, it's a great story. Um, I, I've told this a couple of times this offseason just because uh, it, kind of really exploded during the playoffs, obviously. Yep. Um, but I, I woke up uh, the first game that I ever did for the Orioles. Uh, and I, I was doing opening day in 2012. The only game I had done before that, they flew me down to um, spring training to do a game at, at Smith Stadium. And I, I did terribly. Um, I was very nervous. And uh, there was a lot going on. And the hardest game I will ever do is that game I did at at Smith stadium in Sarasota because there were a thousand changes. You know, it was like, it, right. it's, it's like any spring number 83, you know, the, seventh, the seventh inning rolled around and there were 18 changes. Um, and so I'm like flying through these names and I, I I'll remember, I remember vividly. Um, I, there was a change of uh, the, the Orioles pinch hit Xavier Avery and Xavier Avery was walking to the plate. And I announced this poor guy, and I think it had something to do with March Madness because I, I announced him as Xavier Henry, who was, <laughs> I believe, a point guard for Kansas or Kentucky. I can't remember which. Um, but I announced him as Xavier Henry, and Xavier, God bless him, stopped in the middle of his walk to the plate, looked up at me, and shook his head. Um, and so, going into opening day 2012, I was terribly nervous. I, I you know, I was 40, you know, 45,000 people are about to listen to me, listen to me talk. Um, and so I was going through in my head all the ways I was going to say, you know, say the names, uh, you know, Nick Markakis, Adam Jones, uh, Chris Davis, you know, just going through and saying all these names. Uh, and I got to JJ Hardy and I didn't know how to say his name. Uh, I hope JJ won't be offended. There's nothing terribly musical about his name. You know, it's, <laughs> it's very abrupt. It's very short. Um, it's not nearly as much fun to say as something like, Oh, I don't know, Alejandro Deaza. You know, there's nothing terrible. And so when I, I didn't know how I was going to say it is the moral of the story. And so when we did the first lineup in 2012 for opening day, I got to J.J. Hardy, shortstop, you know, batting seventh, shortstop, number two, and I panicked, J. J. Hardy. <laughs> I didn't, I honestly, that's that's how that happened. And I, I don't remember who it was that, at that moment. Um that said something like, yeah, hey, that pause, that was pretty cool. Um, and so I did it again and, and just kept doing it because I didn't know how else to say the guy's name. Um, and, and then, and then I, the fans I, got into it, yes? Yeah, you know, the, the fans started to get into it, I, I would say the playoffs that first year. Um, I vividly remember hearing people doing it during those first two games against the Yankees in the cold and in the rain. Um the people that sit right around the press box who I have the most interaction with started doing it. Um, but down the stretch last year, it just, it just became a thing. Um, I remember when I took over in 2012, a lot of interviews that I did 
featured the same question in some form where uh, whoever was doing the interview would say, so, you know, Rex Barney had thank you, and Rex Barney had give that fan a contract. Do you have a catchphrase? And I said, well, if I came in with a catchphrase ready to go, it would never work. Right. That's not how those things happen. Um, you know, so I'll, I, I hope to one day have something where, where people recognize that because I said it. That would be great. I mean, that's every kid's dream. Um, I did not expect it to be J.J. Hardy's name. Um, but I think it's really cool. I, I, when people find out who I am or when someone recognizes me, which does not happen very often, um, or when I'm out at a bar and somebody finds out who I am, um, that's what they yell at me. That's, that's pretty much. And so there was no one, no one, and I mean no one, happier in Baltimore uh, when J.J. signed his extension. <laughs> because I got, to, I got to stay relevant for a few more years. Well, you know, when we talk about relevance, I mean, nothing could be more. You, you, sir, are a man of taste. Uh, I myself love a good bow tie. And uh, through Twitter, uh, I've, I've, you know, obviously seen you at the park. I was lucky enough to sit in the press box for one game, and there you were with one on. Let me just ask you this. When it comes to bow ties, uh, to, paraphrase, to paraphrase the great Jack Nicholson, where do you get such wonderful toys? Um, various places. Uh, Coles is, is, uh, <laughs> Coles tends to be the spot. Um, my mom has started buying me bow ties cause she thinks it's funny. Uh, my girlfriend buys me one for every Christmas dinner with her parents. So, um, so you're telling so me that the, the, uh, trick to getting a great bow tie is to trick your mom into buying me a, a bow tie. Yeah, I, apparently, okay. I, you know, and, and, and it's, that's another really funny story. I, because I, um, I dress up, whether it's a bow tie or a regular tie. I, you know, I, I typically have a hat on. Um, uh, I've, I've sort of eased off the fedora thing that I did the first year, and, and now it might just be an Orioles cap or um, another something else. But I always have a hat. Uh, that's 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 been the case with me since I was a kid. Um, I almost always have a hat with me. Uh, but when I talked to my bosses after I got hired, um, and we were talking about what to wear, I mean, I had been in a box before. Uh, I don't know if you guys know many sports writers, but you know, fashion and sports writer don't often appear in the sentence. Yeah. Um, and, and so when I knew, I, you know, I knew I was going to be sitting in the press box. I'm like, all right, jeans, t-shirt, you know, Oriole shirt, sweatshirt, doesn't really hoodie. That, who cares? I'm in the press box. Somebody's going to see me. They're like, you know, you're gonna have to wear an Orioles polo and khakis every day. I said, Orioles polo. I'm not really a khakis kind of guy. Yeah. I, you know, you, you might catch me in a pair of khaki shorts and a polo if I'm on the golf course. Um, but other than that, I try to avoid polos and khakis and things like that. It's just not really a good look for me. Um, and so I said, well, how about, can I wear a tie? And they kind of laughed and they, I mean, sure. If you want to wear a tie, but I, that won't last long. Well, I smell a challenge. Um, you know, so I, I started dressing up and it became something where it was a running joke with a lot of the guys in the press box, people that I had known before. And, and, you know, that, that was the cool thing about interning for Fox years and years ago. Um, almost God, almost tool almost 10 years ago now, eight years ago. Um, I got to know guys like rock and, and, uh, uh, Steve Molesky and, and Craig Heist and, um, uh, Mark Viviano and, and, you know, Bruce Cunningham and, um, all those guys. And so, you know, Pete Schmuck. And, and so when they saw me coming back in as, as the, the announcer, it, it was easy for them to send me a Facebook message or say, Hey, it's going to you know, good to see you again and welcome back. And, and so they, it, it, we kind of never had an awkward phase with me in the press box. I just know a lot of those guys. And so it's, 
Um, it's easy for them to give me a hard time and, and, and vice versa. And so it became a running joke. You know, it's, it's August, it's a hundred degrees. I wonder if Wagner's going to wear a tie today. And sure enough, I came in with a tie. Um, and then the bow tie thing, uh, I was at a buddy's wedding and it was one of those weddings where it's a group of friends and, uh, the wife, the, the one he was marrying, uh, had a certain number of girls that were going to be in her wedding party. And he had to match that because it's never the other way around. <laughs> always, that's the way it works. You're, you're, wife to be has eight friends. You better find eight guys. If she's only got two girls, you only get two guys. That's just how it works. So I became the one guy friend who was left out. And so, uh, before the wedding, they're all going to take pictures and they're all putting their tuxes on and I'm stuck in a hotel room, you know, wishing I was a better friend. Uh, and so I, I went out and bought a bow tie. I was like, I'll, I'll teach myself how to, how to tie a bow tie this way. Why not? I always want to learn how to tie a bow tie. You know, gentlemen know how to tie a bow tie. And so I, I bought this bow tie and I come back to my, my hotel room and I've got a couple of hours to kill. And thank God, because it took every single minute was a few hours. And I watched a YouTube video to learn how to tie a bow tie. Uh, it is the most frustrating thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Been there. And it, yeah, dude, it's brutal. It is absolutely brutal to learn how to tie a bow tie. But it's like juggling. I don't know if either of you juggle. No, um, not doing that coordination. You're learning, we drink. When you're learning how to juggle, you don't get it, and you don't get it, and you don't get it, and you don't get it. And then when you do, you get it. Oh, so it's like sex, it basically. And something makes sense. And the first time I tied my bow tie, I remember I, like, yelled. I had, like, an audible exclamation and didn't want to touch it. And the worst part was I was tying this bow tie on my neck in a T-shirt. Like you do. Because I was just trying to learn how to tie it. And it's not like a regular tie where you can just loosen it, pop it over your head, and put it back on. I had to do this again once I put my dress shirt on. And that was when, like, the terror set in. But it was, it was uh, yeah, so I learned how to tie a bow tie and then um, just started throwing one in every once in a while. And, uh, you know, I think last, or was it last? Yeah, it was last year. The, the uh, 60th anniversary celebration, I wore a bow tie that night. Um, and the bow tie sort of became a thing where every time I would wear one, they'd win. And that worked until the Royals came to town. We don't talk, we don't about, talk that. about that. That that didn't happen. So we're still playing the 2014 oh, yeah? season. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like Batman and Robin. It was canceled pre-production. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. We're not going to talk yeah. about that. Gotcha. Uh, right. So enough. so last question for the interview, um, and this is the most important one. Uh, you know, it, it all rides on this. If you had a choice, Beatles or Stones? The Who. Oh, the Who. Okay, I'm gonna have to. Can I give partial credit? <laughs> I always, I always go with that answer when I'm asked that question. Um, I, man, I, you know, I'm sorry. I, I love music. I, I love music in all of its forms. I, I think that uh, if either of those bands are on, I can, I can get down. I can jam to it. Um, I think that if it's possible, and and it took a long time and a lot of work the Beatles have almost reached a point where they're a little overrated. Like people, and I overrated is probably the wrong word, but people talk about them the way that you talk about deities. And, and while I think that the Beatles are absolutely transcendental and they are absolutely uh, responsible for nearly every form of music that has evolved since they were here, the way that they're talked about almost makes it's impossible for their music to live up to that standard, but they are incredibly good. And I think that the Stones are as transcendent as the Beatles were. That's how cool the Stones were. They're just very cool. Mick Jagger is just very cool. Can I throw another um, one at you, too? Um, if we're going yeah, to go with the Who ahead. and the Stones and the Beatles, what do you think about the Kinks? 
the kinks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can get down with that. Okay. Um, We've had a few people answer the I, kinks too. So I was kind of curious yeah. to see. My, my, I mean, to give you guys some kind of idea, I, some of my favorite bands, U2 is, is, is in the short, is on the short list. And that, I have found that that is a very, uh, they are a very polarizing band. Uh, people either love them or they hate them. I haven't found too many people that are lukewarm about U2, which I find interesting. Um, love U2. Uh, love, uh, love the Who, obviously. Yep. Um, it, but then when I start getting into like more modern music, I can, I can listen to just about everything. If you name an era, I will tell you my favorite band from that era or genre. Probably. Okay. So, but see, I had you pegged as a Kesha fan. I, I don't know why. It was just that, that <laughs> hey, spoke to me. you know what? Here's the, here's the thing. Kesha is a big fan of chubby guys with beards. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. She has admitted that in interviews. So, yes, I am, in fact, a Kesha fan. <laughs> I, I think maybe she spoke in interviews, and that's what you heard. I, I think that might be what's going on. <laughs> no, look it up, dude. Seriously, look it up. She likes chubby guys with beards because she likes the fact that when she makes uh, this, uh, this is probably too much information. I don't, I don't remember where I read this. When she makes out with chubby guys with beards, I don't know what what being chubby has to do with it. Maybe I did like create that part of it. But uh, <laughs> when she makes out with guys with beards, the glitter that is in her makeup gets in their beards, and she thinks that's adorable. That's a thing. Listen to me. If I go into work tomorrow and I Google chubby guys with beards plus Kesha, it's not going to work out well for me in the network security fired. guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's it's uh, uh yeah it's um. It's hilarious. I, yeah, Cash. I mean, dude, I, I ri- honestly, any kind of music. There, my radio stations that are preset on my radio uh, in my car are they run the gamut. I mean, I, I can hang with just about anything. I mean, I love Counting Crows. I love the Killers. I love U two. I love, uh, I love the Beatles. I love Billy Joel. I would love to go see Billy Joel this summer. The tickets are like a million dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I music is a. Music, I think music is a more dangerous thing to talk about than politics sometimes. <laughs> I com- so offended. completely understand. A lot more passion. Yes. Well, look, you know, we, we started this interview and, and we talked about the, the hard-hitting baseball questions. We got the chubby guys with beards and Kesha. So I, I think we've really accomplished all there is to accomplish. But uh, one of the things that I know about you is that um, you, you do take seriously the opportunity you have um, to inter- to interact with fans, um, to, to talk baseball with anybody that you possibly can. But I also know that that this uh, position that you're in also um, enables you the opportunity to you know take on causes that are important to you. And so I wanted to just kind of stop talking for a second and give you opportunities. Is there anything that's that's coming up um, that you'd like to promote that's going on out there right now? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, um, I'm going to get some brownie points here, although this is a wonderful cause. Uh, my my girlfriend's sister um, uh, recently uh, was approved um, or accepted into a program where she is going to travel to the Dominican Republic uh, to work with kids uh, who are dealing with diabetes. Uh, she is uh, She has diabetes, and so uh, it's something that's very close to her, and because um, her sister is who her sister is to me. Uh, it's become something that's very important to me as well. Um, so she's doing this two-week trip to the Dominican Republic to work with uh, kids in the DR um, to teach them how to live with diabetes, uh, uh, the best ways to deal with their condition, um, how to to uh, create healthy habits that will uh, help them as they move forward in life with diabetes. It's a really amazing program, a really wonderful cause. The trick and, and of course, the catch is that she's got to raise the money to get uh, down there and stay there herself. Um, so she's got a fundraising page 
Um, and so if, uh, if anybody wants or if anybody's willing to, every dollar counts, obviously. Um, so I've been tweeting about it. And if anybody wants to hop on Twitter and go to at uh, RWAGS, R-W-A-G-S 614, um, and kind of scroll back through my tweets. Number one, you'll get to see the live uh, tweet event that I did the first time I watched The Fault in Our Stars. Uh, which I don't know. Which was amusing. Yeah, we we did um, catch that. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I, I watched that by myself at home uh, two nights ago, and uh, oh boy, yeah, uh, that that is a cheerful movie. Yep, um, I I did kind but, of envision you rocking and crying while tweeting. <laughs> no, you know I didn't cry. It, it's almost too sad if, if if that's possible. Like I got to a point where I was like, oh man, I might tear up here, and then it got sadder, and I just got really like bummed. And I couldn't cry. So, like it's, so instead, it's, it's, it's you staring good. devoid of emotion tweeting. I, I get it. I get oh, it. man, I just shut down. <laughs> I just shut down. It, it was so sad. Like the, the, I don't know if you guys watched the Oscars last night, but the kid in The Fault in Our Stars was one of the presenters. He walked out on stage. I was like, oh, man. I'm losing it. <laughs> yeah, this is terrible. Anyway, so, yeah, there, she is um, – it's, it's a it, – the – the company is called Ayuda, uh, which is, I believe, help in Spanish. If my 12th grade Spanish class is not failing me, um, A Y U D A. Uh, so if if, uh, if anybody's on Twitter, I'll be uh, tweeting about it for a couple of weeks. I, I think she has until uh, early in May to raise the money. Um, so I'll be tweeting about it nonstop. If anybody would be willing to go donate a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you can spare, uh, every dollar helps. And uh, it is it's it's a uh, it's a really neat cause. So I, I urge all of you to to take a look at it. Well, Ryan Wagner, we truly appreciate your being here with us tonight. First of all, we cannot wait to get back to the yard and to chant Jay, pause, Jay, pause, Hardy with you. We will definitely check out the Twitter feed and, and the causes again, which are so important to you. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and, and again, we're, we can't wait to, to get back to the park and, and hear you over the loudspeaker. Ryan Wagner of the Baltimore Orioles, thank you so much for joining Bird's Eye View. Guys, thanks so much. Well, Jake, with that, I think it's going to be uh, time that we start closing up the show. In all honesty, Jake, we could talk real baseball right now, but what's the point, really? Bullpen sessions really aren't going to tell us anything. And as much as we would like to overanalyze a 10-second video posted by Brittany Giroli, eh, not really any point. Let's be fair. It was by Brittany Giroli. It was by Eduardo Encina. It was by Rock Kabaka. We get the same 10 to 20-second clip from a different vantage point. It's like the Zabruder film of spring training but if you want to talk about some real baseball we stack around with ryan wagner and talk some real baseball that's gonna be posted over at baltimoresportsreport.com go to baltimoresportsreport.com subscribe to baltimore sports today and you can listen to us talk real baseball with ryan wagner and not thespian and kesha with them with that jake i think it's that time that's all i got baltimore and beyond i bid you a fond adieu adieu good night baltimore be safe You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.